It is so great to be with all of you here this morning as we celebrate 54 years here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. As I, as I looked around the room here this morning, and there's so many stories in here, yet it, we're all part of one story. God is weaving us together in ways that we can't even possibly understand as the body of Christ for the glory of God, and that's what we're going to talk about here today. For those of you who are visiting or are here for the first time, it's been a long time since you've been here, uh, we're drawing to a close a sermon series that we purposely built up to have the crescendo here at homecoming. Uh, our sermon series has been entitled, Together We Transform, and we've been talking about our new church covenant. Most of you may have seen this beautiful document here to my right. It's something we as a long-range planning committee put together as a church we approved and hopefully as a family that we can commit to one another. And it, it goes along right with our mission statement as well, a mission statement I know that we, we know quite well. But before we do that, something I always like to do at homecoming is to remember where we were, to remember where we're going. You may see this insert inside your bulletin and talk about our history, and I'm just going to read it here for a second and pause and reflect on what the Lord has done in the, lives, in the life of this church. It says, Cedar Street Baptist Church began as a missional plan of the First Baptist Church of Metter in August of 1960. With support and leadership from the Metter community, the mission immediately began to grow in July of 1961. Cedar Street's first pastor was called, and in 1963, land was purchased to begin constructing a church facility. In June of 1964, a groundbreaking ceremony was held for CSBC's first building, and the facility was completed one year later. Cedar Street Baptist Church was finally constituted as a self-supporting Southern Baptist Church in October of 1964, and the Lord Jesus Christ has been saving lives of those that have been coming in and out of the doors of this church ever since. And we stop and we praise Him for what He has done. As I look around the room and I see how many families have come to faith in the Lord, and I think about how much work the Lord has done, and I also think about how much work the Lord wants to continue to do here. I celebrate. I celebrate. I think we need to rejoice in the past, but I think we also need to be prepared to build a solid foundation for the future. And that's really what we've been talking about the past few weeks in this sermon series. Together we transform. I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. All right, I believe transformation is possible. First, the transformation into eternal life, that we've been given that beautiful gift and that we are certainly heaven-bound, as they sang this morning. But even here and now, eternity starts now. All right, uh, there's a new book out by John Ortberg, a great Christian writer and pastor, and the title of the book is Eternity is Now in Session. And I want us to be thinking about that, that an eternal relationship with the living God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you and has called you into eternal fellowship with him, that relationship begins now. And as we enter into that relationship, sometimes it happens at such a pace that we don't recognize it as it's taking place. But I do believe that we're being transformed, and that's part of the reason why we have this new mission statement. All right, our mission statement is Cedar Street Baptist Church exists to glorify God and advance His heavenly kingdom here on earth by making Christian disciples whose heads, hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer. I'm not here to play religion. I'm not here for lip service. 
I'm here to proclaim the truth of God's word, and I believe that that is going to transform me. It's going to transform you. It's going to transform us. I believe it's going to transform our marriages and our families, transform us in the workplace, transform how we prepare for eternal life. And a lot of times these things happen at such a pace, again, that we don't notice that God's really at work. But if I was to stop and look at you and you look at me and think about where we were, even at this point last year as we celebrated our 53rd anniversary last year, I'd say God has done a work. He's done a work. First of all, we're closer to being in the kingdom with him eternally now than we were a year ago, so that alone is worthy of an amen. All right, but also we could say that if we're following the Lord, that we look and sound and act a little bit more like Christ now than maybe we did 12 months ago. Maybe not in a way that we can measure or know, but that's the goal. Jesus wants you to have his thoughts and to have his heart and to have his desire and to fulfill his mission as part of his body. And so that's what we're talking about here. As we uh, wrap up this sermon series, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. All right, the title of our message here is Together We Are the Body of Christ. Together We Are the Body of Christ. In the beginning of our sermon series, we talked about seeking the mind of Christ. Then we talked about showing the heart of Christ. Last week was being the hands of Christ. And I think today we bring it to a close by saying we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we want to talk today about being unified as a local congregation within the body of Christ to do the will that God has called us to do. So as we get ready and prepare our hearts and our minds for a a word today here out of Ephesians 4, what's the big idea? Well, in one sentence, the big idea is this. Gospel transformation in the Christian life always takes place in a covenant community of united believers as Christ's body. For the note takers, I'll I'll read it again. Gospel transformation in the Christian life always takes place in a covenant community of united believers as Christ's body. What I hope to do here in the next few moments, and certainly after the message as we enter into a wonderful covenant signing ceremony, is I want us to think about salvation in terms of the body of Christ. You know, I say often that I'm so great to be an American. I believe this is uh, the greatest country in the world. But one of the dangers that we run into sometimes is we're very individualistic in America. There's a lot of Christians all over the world that don't see Christianity the way that we do because they weren't raised up in, in an individualistic society the way that we've been. And so sometimes when we come into church, we don't realize that God is not just saving you individually, though He is. And he is, he is very deeply concerned about individual souls, He knows you by name. He knows every hair on your head. And he wants an individual, personal, devotional relationship with you. But it doesn't stop there. God is calling unto himself the church. Jesus says, I I must build what I must call my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He's calling unto himself a body of believers, a family, united as one with one purpose and one goal and one mission. And that's what I want to talk about. I think a lot of times as we try and walk with the Lord, we forget these things. Uh, Dave and I both have said this often, that that, uh, Christianity is not a Lone Ranger faith. And we always say even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. All right? This is not a Lone Ranger faith. Uh, One of the things that frustrates me more than anything else is those who decide they don't want to be part of a church at all. They say, I can have in the deer stand or I can have in the fishing boat what you have at that church. And my answer to that is, no, you can't. You should have God in the fishing boat, and you should have God in the deer stand, because that's a a beautiful time to have alone time with God. However, God 
has created the body of Christ in such a way that you can experience a fullness, a manifestation of his presence and the power of his spirit together as part of his body than you ever could apart from it. And so that is why the church, not man's idea, but God's will, is that everyone be united as a covenant member of a local church that teaches this book. And for those of you that are covenant members of this church, it is my commitment to you, A, that I will always teach from this book, and that we'll be united as one with the mission that God has put on our hearts. And so we're going to be looking at the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to be listening to these words where he's constantly reminding these young believers in this new church, we need to be unified. And there are things that unity means and things that unity does not mean that we need to talk about as well. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me again to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1161 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. Again, we are in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're in verses 1 through 6. Hear God's word to us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. We'll rejoice and we'll be glad in it because it is you who has made it. Father, what a sweet and special time that we could come and, Father, be led in worship by an amazing brother and sister in Christ and have our hearts and minds stirred and prepared to hear your word and prepare to covenant together in a a new commitment as we move forward, but also look back and say thank you for what you've done in this church for 54 years. Father, you be praised today. Open our hearts and minds to truly see your vision for the body of Christ, not just the local body here at Cedar Street, uh, but the, the universal body of Christ and what you're doing and the hope that you offer us that can only be found in Christ. It's in his name we pray and God's people said, amen. I know that uh, the members here will not believe me when I say this, but I'm going to go through the passage here relatively quickly. Uh, there's no pulpit today, but they still put the clock there, so that tells me, so that tells me something. Um, we did have a special start time because at the end of the service, we are going to have a covenant signing ceremony, and I, I expect that to take a few minutes. In fact, we clocked it out in our long-range planning and, and uh, knew we'd need at least 30 minutes to finish it. Now, before I get into that, let me just say a word. I know that some have asked me today why we didn't just have a location for people to come and sign as they feel led to, and I just want to say that even though this is a service maybe that you haven't been in before, the two, the two words that I would use to want to, to cultivate the mood for this service would be reverent and reflective. All right, we're in a big rush. What are we in a rush for? Where are we going? Food's waiting for us in the fellowship hall, okay? So I'm gonna, I am going to go through the word a little quicker than I usually do, but when we get ready for the covenant ceremony, I want you to pre- prepare your hearts and your minds for reflection and reverence. 
And even if you're visiting here and you're not actually going to be signing the document, what a sweet time to collect your thoughts and think about what God's done in your life. Think about what God wants to do in your life. You know, I love visiting other churches. I know you guys probably visit quite a few. And one of the things that happens when I'm visiting a church is... I celebrate what God does because every church has a little bit of a different culture. You know, everyone says and does things a little bit different. And I'll say, wow, God, you're creative that you would lead these people to do this and to do that. And then the second thing I do is I, I let it make me yearn to go back to my own church. Whenever I visit my sister in Richmond, I'm always worshiping in her church. And I, I love what God does in her life. And then I yearn to come back here to Cedar Street. So if you're visiting, when we come to the covenant signing, we want you to have lunch with us in the fellowship hall. Just reflect. And enable God to use this as a time of reverence. So that's kind of the tone I want for us to have here. And as we walk through the text, again, I do want to walk through it fairly quickly. As we look at Ephesians chapter 4, the first thing that I want to say, if we are going to be the body of Christ, we must, one, be united in our eternal calling. Together as the body of Christ, we must, number one, be united in our eternal calling. Here's what verse 1 says, according to the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What's our calling? Well, we are called into the body of Christ. We are adopted into the family. And one of the words I think that we could use is to say that we've been called holy. We are called to be holy. That word holy, we use it a lot in church, but do we understand what it means? It means we're called to be set apart. All right, God is set apart from his creation. There is an otherness to God. He loves his creation. He created us in his image to be a reflection of his likeness. But yet there's something about God that's holy and set apart from the rest of the world. And we were supposed to be that way before sin. But sin entered the world and then we became just like the world. And so now that we're born again, for those of us that have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been declared holy and now we're calling we're being called to act in that manner of which we've already been declared. And that's the amazing thing about the Christian life. We don't become holy and then we're declared holy. We're declared holy, then we become holy. And it's something, we don't have any other experience like that in our life. You know, we are called to walk in the light of our calling. We are called to be set apart. In the Old Testament, God called a nation unto himself and he gave them these laws, the laws of Moses. The Old Testament shows us that they were called to live according to these holy standards so that the rest of the world would look at Israel and say, wow, there's something different about you. And Israel's response would be, we worship a holy God. And the holiness of the Lord would be evident through his people. Well, praise the Lord through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We no longer have to live according to holy standards to earn any merit or favor. Our salvation is secure in the work of Christ, not what we do, but in faith in what Christ has done for us. But that frees us up to live according to those holy standards, not out of some legalistic restriction, but out of grace. We were saved by grace. We live out holiness by grace, by the work and by the effort and by the strength of God. We live that out in front of others so that they can see what Jesus is like. When we say that heads, hearts, and hands are being transformed through the gospel and we acquire the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ and we serve with the hands of Christ, we are being holy according to our Savior who is holy. And it should set us apart from those that don't know Christ that we shine that radiant light in the darkest places that they would know that God is real. Just like when David killed Goliath. I said this to somebody the other day. People always miss the point of that story. 
The point is not that God is going to give you the strength to slay all the giants of your life. The point is that God will be with you, and no matter what happens, when he does a work in your life, you can stand up like David and say, the world will know that there's a God in Israel. That's the point of David and Goliath, those words that come right off the lips of the king. So we're called to be united in our eternal calling. You know, just a a quick illustration. Can you imagine what it would be like for your favorite football team to be declared the champion before the season even starts? All right, their trophy has already been secured for them. Their names have been engraved on it and placed in the locker room for them before the season starts. And the coach stands up in the first game of the season. He says, congratulations, didn't know if you knew this. You've already been declared champions of the world for this season. Your name is already on the the plaque on the trophy. The trophy's already in the locker room. It's already yours. You just have to play out the season to acquire the trophy. Now go out and play like a champion. How would you feel if you were a player on that team and you knew that you were already declared a champion? All you had to do was finish the game. Well, that's exactly what we have. We already have the whole story right here. People get so twisted about the book of Revelation. I've seen so many interpretations. If you want to know my thoughts, I don't fully understand exactly how it's all going to work out, but I know the end, we win. So let's go out and play like we win. That's what God is calling us to do, to live as champions. And in the Christian life, that means to live as holy. You've already been declared holy. You're being transformed to be more holy. Now go out and live that way. Go out and live that way. We are called to be made in the image of God. That image was was greatly tainted by sin, but it's being restored in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we need to go out and reflect who Jesus is to the rest of the world. So number one, together we are the body of Christ. We must be united in our eternal calling. Number two, we must also be united in our eternal love. Listen again to the Apostle Paul in verses 2 through 3. He says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Boy, I've said this many times in this church, maybe to the point where uh, you probably already know what I'm going to say when I talk about the word love. I certainly know that uh, those who have gone through premarital counseling, when I think of uh, Josh and Adrian and I think of uh, Ricky and Danny and others that I've walked through, I I, want to make sure when I'm getting ready to marry someone, they fully understand this, okay? And if you've never heard these words, let these sink in. Love is not an emotion, okay? Love is not an emotion. Love is a commitment, and emotions come from that commitment, but the emotions will change, and the commitment does not. Amen? And if the world understood this, our marriages would be in a lot better shape because emotion for your spouse can change like the wind, but your commitment to them does not. It's the same way in the Scriptures. In fact, this is what surprises me. The marriages that don't understand this typically had this verse read at their wedding. Okay, what's the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13. We know it. We know it. What I'm going to say, you already know. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. How many words in that passage have to do with emotions? None. 
Now, they greatly affect our emotions. Let's not, let's not say emotions are bad. We're, God wired us to be emotional creatures. So emotions are good, but we know emotions change. Like the wind. Your emotion this morning may not be the same emotion that you feel when you go to bed tonight. So when God calls us to have an eternal love, and in terms of the body of Christ, that eternal love for each other and for the world that does not know the Lord, God's not commanding us to have an emotion. God's commanding us to make a commitment, and that commitment is self-sacrifice for the good of another human being. When I say that I love you, it means I'm committed to your greatest good. That's what it means. When you love somebody, you're committed to their greatest good for the glory of God. That's not easy all the time, is it not? It's not easy. All right, but that's what we're called to be. All right, Paul says, in a manner worthy of recalling to which you've been called with all humility. Humility is putting someone else before yourself. Gentleness and patience, okay? That's the, the way in which we approach other people. Bearing with one another in love. Patiently committing to them even when we don't agree with them. Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, let me say one thing that love is not. Love is not something that makes an excuse for sin. Love is something in which we learn to be patient and forgiving of sin. All right? One of the things that frustrates me in more liberal churches that are getting further and further away from this book, what they're doing is writing up new statements of faith and doctrines that deny the inerrancy and the authority of the Word of God, and they're saying, if you disagree with us, we have to be unified. We, we must have peace. We can't disagree on this. No, there are some things to which we must put our foot down and say, I will not buckle from this. And one of those things is the authority of the Word of God. And I would not be loving to tell someone that if you don't believe that this book is the Word of God, you still have the truth. No, you don't. It would not be loving of me to share that with you. So for churches that say in, in, the, in the way of love and unity, we need to d- just agree to disagree on the authority of the Word. If you want to believe in that, it's fine. I'm going to sit in the pew over here and I'm not going to believe in that. That church will never grow because they're divided on a foundational issue. But I will say most churches are not divided on that issue. They're divided on secondary issues that we need to be comfortable to disagree with. All right, we talk about this all the time. There's these few things that we cannot buckle on. The authority of the Word of God, the person and work and nature of the Lord Jesus Christ is God and man, the nature of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We, sh- we cannot and we will not buckle on that. But there's a lot of things that we need to have room to disagree in love. And those are the, the secondary and third, the third tier issues are the ones that we typically split down the middle on. And I'm not even going to list them because if I started listing them, I'd, I'd get a lot of chuckles and rolled eyes because you know what I'm talking about. Issues that we need to look past and say, you know what, we can agree to disagree on this because I love you and I'm committed to your greater good. And your greater good is that we be united on the first things I just mentioned. First tier issues, primary things that we will not buckle on. When we love each other, we can overlook our differences. We can overlook our personalities. We can overlook our preferences. And we can be united together as one because we love each other. And that's my heartbeat for this church. Sarah Gillis, what, what three words do I say all the time? Grace and truth. They say, if a pastor preaches long enough, the church will take the tone of the pastor. That's a sobering thought for me. It should be a sobering thought for you. My prayer would be, if I'm here long enough, that this would be a church, and I already believe that it is, because this church inspired me and has made me part of who I am. I've been here for eight years. I've only been your pastor for two, but I want us to be a church of grace and truth. 
Truth we will not buckle from. Grace we give people forgiveness and we're patient and we're humble and we bear with them as they bear with us. Too many churches are missing that grace and there are some churches that are missing that truth. I pray that we would have both. And the way that we're united in that is our eternal love. So we need to be united in our eternal calling, united in our eternal love. Third and finally, we need to be united in our eternal hope. Listen to verses 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So how are we united in a calling and united in our love? It's because we remember the hope is all united as one. We're built by one spirit. We're drawn into one call. We have one Lord based on one faith. We have one baptism. And our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ brings us into His body. One body. And we love Him and we serve Him and we love each other and we serve each other. And we need to be mindful of this hope that we have. And what is it that we hope I'm going to tell you what I hope as I read the Word of God. I hope for a restored kingdom and a restored relationship with my Creator. That's my greatest hope. All right? When we talk about a restored kingdom, the world will one day be what God intends for it to be when Jesus Christ comes back and makes all things new. When the heavens and the earth collide and we live in what's called the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, we'll live in a new body on a new earth for all of eternity. That's something to have hope in, right? That's something to have hope in. That is as awful as the world seems to be going. I'm not looking for the world to turn around now before Christ comes back. The Bible said it's going to get the worst it's ever been. I don't see the world making a U-turn and and heading towards Christ. What I do see is that Christ is doing a a great work and He's calling many unto Himself. And droves of people are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the gospel has reached all four corners of the earth, at a time only known to the Father, the Son will come back and make all things new. How all that's going to work out, I don't have a timeline or a chronology, and you don't either. And if someone has told you they know the time and the day and the way it's going to figure out, run from them as fast as you can. Because only the Father knows. But Christ is coming back to make all things new. And when He does, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, you will receive a beautiful new resurrected body, and you'll live on a new earth. And you'll get to do a lot of the things that you didn't get a chance to do now. We'll be able to taste and eat and enjoy and and have recreation and work. And work will be fun. It'll be a joy. The curse will be removed. For some of you, the thought of working for all eternity doesn't sound like heaven. It sounds like the other place. But let me tell you something. It will be pure heaven because none of us truly knows what it is to work without the curse, the sweat of the brow. We don't know what that is. But we will. And I have hope. The second part I have hope in is my relationship with God. It's the reason I'm on this planet. You know, one of the things that frustrates me is when you go to a, uh, a bookstore, to the Christ, so-called Christian section, and you see these books by these television preachers that are these best-selling Christian authors, one thing that aggravates the mess out of me is when I read the titles of these books, nine out of every ten of the titles is all about these things that God wants to do for you. God Himself is the blessing. He is the blessing. Not the money to put in the account. Not the doctor's report. Not, not all those things. He may do those things in your life, and he may not. 
But when you have Jesus, you have everything. I said it a few weeks ago. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so my hope is that every day that I wake up, that my relationship with God, it's real and it's being restored. And I have a closeness with Him that I didn't have even a year ago. And if you talk to me five years from now, if I'm still on this earth, I would say I walk with Him and He walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death where I will fear no evil because He is with me. His rod and His staff comfort me. I mean, think of Psalm 23 in light of some of the titles of the books out today. David would say, my, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want because He is with me. Not what He can give me, but who He is. So my hope is in Christ. My hope is that His kingdom is being restored. My hope is that my relationship with Him is being restored. That I'll have an intimacy with Him where I'll know God more even a month from now than I do now as I pray and meditate on the Word. And then that will change my relationships. All right, It'll transform my family. It'll transform this church. It'll transform all the things that He's called me to do. I'm not there. You're not there. But we're moving in that direction, the direction of hope. That's what God's called us to. So how do I sum all this up? Are you shocked? We're already at the conclusion here. You guys do have hope. That's right. In one sentence, one sentence, here's what I would want to say. To be transformed as Christ's body, we must remain united in our eternal commitment to be surrendered to Christ's will. Let me say it one more time. To be transformed as Christ's body, we must remain united in our eternal commitment to be surrendered to Christ's will. You know what Christ says? It's not a popular phrase in 2018, but Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. He says, now I call you friends if you do what I command you. Again, I said this last week, commandments and obedience, it just feels suppressive, but it's not. We as parents know this, that when our children obey us, it frees them up to be all that we desire for them to be. And, and typically, we know more about what's good for them than they do. They don't think that, but it's true. What about our relationship with God when we're called to be obedient to Christ? Not out of some legalistic rule that we have to earn something from God, but out of love for what He's done for us, that we'll live for Him and we'll obey what He lays out as His commandments. Not for salvation, but purely out of obedience and joy for who God is then we'll be transformed. I believe this. I really do. I I can't wait for the days of the future where people will continue to say and give testimony in this church. I really am seeing transformation. I really understand more about the Bible than I did a year ago. I really have seen God work in my marriage. I really have feel a closeness with God that I've not had before. I believe that's possible. I really do. And so we're going to enter into a sweet and sacred ceremony. Say that five times. And this ceremony is, is something that I really want us to think about. Okay, we've spent over a year putting together a church covenant. All right, again, the, the new covenant that we live under is the blood of Jesus Christ and faith uh, saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. But specifically as a church, we make a unique covenant commitment to each other as a family of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. All right, and... All of you have had a long time to see what that covenant is. We, again, had the long-range planning committee approve it. We had the whole church approve it. We had the bylaws committee approve it. We had a month for everyone to look at it. If you still don't know what it is, it's in your bulletin. All right, if anyone's wondering, what are are we coming forward to sign? 
We've been talking about this for a whole year. I've been preaching through this for four weeks. But if you don't know what it is, pull out that sheet and look at it. All right, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to take the covenant. And I want to say what a beautiful uh, covenant this is. I want to thank uh, Scotty Davis. And, and yeah, thank you. Had a chance to work with uh, one of our very own, Scotty, and her team, and uh, just did an awesome job. We have a new church logo. Okay, you may saw that on the cover of the bulletin, where the heads, hearts, and hands are right inside the cross itself. And uh, my prayer is that when we sign, it doesn't smudge. I'm praying. That's the last prayer that needs to be answered for this ceremony to be all I hope it can be. All right, but in a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to put this over here. And then um, at this time, I would ask uh, Eddie Jones and Clint Woodard to come forward. They're going to guide each section to come down and sign Dave will be here at the front pointing on where you can sign so that there's enough room for the 150 to 200 some odd signatures that'll be here. And then here's, here's, what, here's what our hope is. We're going to come around the edge of the church, okay? So this side, every aspect of the church is going to come around the rim of the church to where Mr. Eddie is and then come forward and sign and then go back to your seat around the church this way. Again, I would hope that this would be a time of reverence and reflection, okay? I know as it takes 15, 20 some odd minutes for us to sign, it'd be really tempting to, to chat in the, in the pew, but this is not what this service is for. All right, if you're visiting or if you're a regular attender who's not yet joined the church, stay with us, please. If you have to go home, we understand, but stay in the pew, stay with us, meditate on what God's doing in your life, use this as a time for reflection And then, of course, after we sign, we're going to recite the covenant out loud together. We'll pray, and then we'll go to the fellowship hall for a fellowship meal. So let me me pray for us, pray for this service, and then we'll begin uh, dismissing each aisle at a time to sign the covenant and then go back to your seat, and then we'll recite the covenant together and then go and have our fellowship lunch. If you're a visitor, stay with us. We want you to be a part of this. Even if you're not going to sign, we want you to have dinner with us. So let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. Again, we thank you so much for what you're doing at Cedar Street Baptist Church for 54 years. Father, now we enter into a sacred covenant signing ceremony. We remember in the scriptures, Father, all over the Old Testament, that when you were getting ready to do something amazing, you called leaders to stop everyone and remember what you did to remember what you're going to do. You did that with Moses, you did that with Joshua. These men that would stand on the edge of the promised land and say, remember what you did taking us out of Egypt. Remember what you did leading us in the wilderness. Remember what you're going to do as you lead us into the land of milk and honey. So we do the same thing, Father. We stand here today. We remember what you've done in 54 years of this church. We're excited for what you're going to do, and we renew our commitment to each other to be the heads, hearts, and hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would saturate this sanctuary, that you'd stir our hearts and our minds to be reverent and reflective of your work, that this would be a sweet and special ceremony, a pleasing aroma in your sight. Be with us now, Father, as we renew our church covenant, renew our commitment to this family together. In Jesus' name, amen.